Let's open our Bibles, please, to the book of Zechariah, chapter 7. Zechariah, chapter 7. We finished the sixth chapter in our last lesson. And beginning with chapter 7 through chapter 8, verse 23, we have four messages. There are four special messages beginning with this section. In other words, chapters 7 and 8. When we look at the first one, let me just point them out to you how they're started. If you notice in chapter 7, verse 1, it says, It came to pass in the fourth year of King Darius, the word of the Lord came unto Zechariah. So, they're headed by the word of the Lord. Chapter 8, verse 1 says, Again, this is another message, Again, the word of the Lord of hosts came to me. And then in chapter 8, verse 9, it says, Thus saith the Lord of hosts. Another message. You can mark these down. There are just four of them. And uh, then also chapter 8, verse 20, it says, Thus saith the Lord of hosts. So each one of these is a separate and individual message. So it's chapter 7, verse 1, 8, verse 1, 8, verse 9, and 8, verse 20. The first one is a message. You might put just a little note by each of these four numbers that I gave you. The first one is a message of rebuke. You could just put down rebuke. And each one says a message, but you could put rebuke. And then the second one is a message of restoration. So just put down restoration. And the third one is a message of remembrance. So you could just put down remembrance. And the fourth one is a message of promise. So you have rebuke, restoration, remembrance, and promise. That's in chapters 7 and 8. So that's simple enough, isn't it? Now then, you run across, as we do the first message here, you run across another time or two that says uh, the Word of God or Word of the Lord came to Zechariah, but the message is generally in the same uh, thought, even though you find the Word of the Lord continuing to inform him of things that he needs to say. So uh, every time it says the Word of the Lord came to Zechariah, it doesn't mean it's the start of a new message, it just means it's inclusive in what we've already talked about. Now, let me give you those again. Chapter 7, 1 through 14 is a message of rebuke. Chapter 8, 1 through 8, a message of restoration. Chapter 8, verse 9 through 19, a message of remembrance. Chapter 8, verses 20 through 23, a message of promise. When we come to the ninth chapter, we'll have a different subject altogether. Remember, we had visions at first, ten visions. Now we have these four messages. When we come to the ninth chapter, we're going to have two burdens. And I'll give you the details on that. The burden of the Word of the Lord. The burden of Zechariah. So we'll have a different kind of division when we get to that part of the Bible. Of the book, rather. Of course, the book is a part of the Bible, too, so we can say that. But uh, when we get there, it'll have two burdens, and they'll be uh, divided up with subheadings for you. But let's look at this first one that we have in chapter 7, beginning with verse 1. And keep in mind the subject matter. It's a, it's a rebuke. And there'll be a lot of things we'll comment on as we go along. But remember, he, he's going to rebuke them for some things in this passage, or in this chapter. It covers the whole chapter. This message of rebuke, beginning with verse 1, says, And came to pass in the fourth year of King Darius, 
that the word of the Lord came unto Zechariah in the fourth day of the ninth month, even in Chislu. First of all, we find here that the word of the Lord came unto Zechariah. Notice that it says the word of the Lord came unto Zechariah. We find in the Old Testament time and time again that the word of God comes to these different prophets under divine inspiration, revealing to them what God wants the people at that time, and maybe if it has a prophecy in view of the future time, to know. And we studied this morning in our Sunday school where it says, For prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. The word moved means borne along and directed completely by the Holy Spirit. And that's how God's Word came to us. So it is of divine inspiration. And Paul said to Timothy that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And is proper for doctrine, for reproof, for a correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. So we said that the full revelation of God is good for us, Old and New Testament. I think I've given you before the thought that we should study the Old Testament in order to understand the New. Someone said, well, I just study the New Testament. Well, do you? Look at Romans 15.4. It says, for whatsoever things were written aforetime, all the Old Testament, were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. There wasn't any New Testament at that time. In fact, Paul, in writing it, was making the New Testament uh, come to life and uh, be uh, canonized, of course, later on. And so what Paul was saying then later on became a part of the New Testament Scriptures. But when he said that the Old Testament, the things written aforetime were written for our learning, so the New Testament verifies the fact that when we're studying the Bible, we need to study the Old to understand God's Word. It was written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. So when a person says they study the New Testament, they come across Romans 15 verse 4 and they think, well, you know, if I'm studying the New Testament, it's referring me to study the Old. And if I'm going to know what the New means, I'm going to have to study the Old. Because the things in the New Testament are picturized and symbolized and typified in the Old Testament. And we must study the whole Bible used to be uh, folks that come to the church with a New Testament only, you know. And uh, we used to say, well, you know, why come with a single barrel shotgun when you have a double, right? And so take both of them. If you go hunting, you usually take the double barrel, don't you? You want to have an extra shot. Remember the old days they had the... You remember, I had one out on the farm. It was over and under... It was a, it was a, twenty-two under and a four-ten, and so you. Well, I forget which way it was, but you shot the twenty-two. If you missed that squirrel or the rabbit, you just pull the pull the other one. You'd sure to get him with that scatter gun. So sometimes we need all the the ammunition and all the weapons that we can get in order to fight the battle. Uh, Paul tells Timothy that we're in that kind of a battle. He says, as good soldiers, endure hardness as good soldiers of Jesus Christ. Now, soldiers have to endure hardness, don't they? And we have to endure hardness. And there's a lot of scriptures that bear that out. I remember we used to sing a lot of times, onward Christian soldiers marching us to war. 
with the cross of Jesus going on before because we have a battle to fight against the world, the flesh, and the devil. And do not think that these are to be taken lightly. Do not think it's a pushover to fight these battles because it's certainly a, a hard battle to fight in some respects. Alright, let's uh, go on with this now. It says, It came to pass in the fourth year of Darius that the word of the Lord came unto Zechariah in the fourth day of the ninth month, even Chislu. Now, this was two years after the previous prophecy. And uh, it's uh, the time, at the time while the altar, uh, while the temple was being rebuilt, the altar had already been built. And I want you to notice it says, of the ninth month, even in Chislu, in our reckoning, that would be late November or December. Just put the month of December by it. Because the Jewish calendar was different than ours. We'll get on down to where we'll find, in the next few verses, we'll find uh, some different uh, months of the year. Uh, let's see if I have them down somewhere. But there are different months of the year that we'll find. I believe it's August that we refer to in the fifth month. In verse 3, it says, In the fifth month... I weep in the fifth month, and that's the month of August. Well, that's the eighth month for you and I, isn't it? In our on our calendar, but it's the fifth month in Jewish time in reckoning. So they changed their calendar back at the time of the Passover. Remember, God says, "I'm going to make a new calendar for you. I'm going to give you a new beginning of the year." And He gave them a new beginning back in ex- the book of Exodus. What is that? Chapter 14, where that is, or 12? But anyway, it's, uh, I like to check myself out when I tell you something that I'm not sure of. Exodus, what, 12, isn't it? Yeah, 12. Verse 2 says, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. And he goes on to explain that it would be the beginning at that particular time. All right, back in Zechariah now, chapter 7, verse 1 we just read. The ninth month... And in verse 2 it says, When they had sent unto the house of God Sherezer and Remimelech and their men to pray before the Lord. Now here's two men with foreign names. They are the ones of the Jewish captivity in Babylon that sent these two to the house of God to pray. They had the altar already established, so they were sent there at the altar while the temple was being rebuilt. They were to pray. And these two men... With these four names, the first one is the Prince of Treasury, and the second one that you find mentioned here is the official, official of the king. And they sent them and their men to pray before the Lord. And verse 3 says, And to speak unto the priests that were in the house of the Lord of hosts, and to the prophets, saying, Should I weep in the fifth month, separating myself self as I have done these so many years? There was a fast that they were observing, and this fast had to do with their uh, deliverance from, or their, not their deliverance, but their Babylonian captivity at a certain period of time. It was, it was to commemorate the uh, uh, destruction of Jerusalem and how they went into captivity. And it was a mere formal day that they were fasting. They set it up themselves. Time to fast. And the question is, the question is, Should I weep in the fifth month? Should I separate myself? Should we have this fast as I have done these so many years? So they had observed this on their own accord. It was not something that God had uh, told them to do. 
And we'll find as we read the context that there are two fasts that are mentioned, but God never asked them to, to do this. So the question comes up, should I do this? And God's going to give the answer of what He expects more than a fast, more than doing without food and water or whatever, and on the terms that they had set up themselves. You know, sometimes in the Christian world, men set up things that that God didn't set up in the Scriptures. And this is what they were doing. They wanted it to be a day of remembrance of the of the a mere day of of mournfulness and sorrow because they remembered that uh, this is the time when uh, Jerusalem was destroyed and this is the time that began their mourning and their captivity and they were re- observing this mor- day, mournful day. But in the Christian world, many men have set up days that the Lord didn't establish. We have days that uh, God has established. We know that the Lord's day was established by Jesus Himself, and then the apostles uh, kept on uh, observing it as it was uh, the first day of the week, His day of His resurrection. And it tells us in Acts, I believe it's chapter 20, verse 7, it says, And when the disciples came together on the first day of the week to break bread, instead of the Old Testament Jewish Sabbath, the seventh day, they assembled on the first day of the week. The uh, Sabbath day of the Old Testament celebrates a day of the finished creation. But the first day of the week celebrates what? A day of finished redemption. Because it's Christ died and He rose again the first day of the week. And so it's a different time. And it was a time observed by the apostles, time observed by New Testament uh, Christians, and a time when uh, John on the Isle of Patmos said upon the first day of the week, well, he is... The Spirit of God came upon him on the first day of the week and gave him the book of Revelation. So anyway, there's a lot of scriptures to establish that fact. But let's get back to this. It says that they asked this question in verse 3. Should I weep in the fifth month separating myself as I have done so many years? This is the question. Then came the word of the Lord of hosts unto me, saying, Speak ye unto all, speak unto all the people of the land and to the priests, saying, When ye fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh month, so he mentions another day, the seventh month is another day that he mentions. Uh, even though seventy years, this is to represent the seventy years that they were in bondage, did ye at all fast unto me, even to me? He says, Was this concerning me or you? What was this about? All of this that you established, was it? My idea, or was it yours? Or was it really worshiping me, or was it just for a selfish reason, or for a reason maybe that you just wanted to use it to remember some of the things? In verse 6, he says, And when ye did eat, and when, when ye did drink, did ye not? Did not ye eat for yourselves and drink for yourselves? When they had a feast day, was it for themselves or was it for God? In remembrance of something He had established. Remember that they had feast days that God had established. But it seems that both these fasting days and these feast days, when they did eat and drink, that they had established this for their own benefit. And sometimes we find that uh, is uh, permissible, but it's not scripturally planned and verified in the Word of God. Now then, in verse 7 he says, Should ye hear the words which the Lord hath cried by the former prophets? Now he's getting down to the real meat of, of the answer to the question that they had asked, that he had asked. He says, Should you not hear the words, 
Should ye not hear the words which the Lord hath cried by the former prophets? Had they listened to the former prophets? Had they listened to them in all that they had to say? When Jerusalem was inhabited and in prosperity, in the time that was good, in the time you were blessed, when Jerusalem was inhabited before this happened to you, and when you were in prosperity, did you at all listen to God's prophets at that time? You know, sometimes we won't listen until things turn bad. In prosperity, we think we're all okay, self-secure. Everything's okay. But you know, we need the Lord just as much in prosperity as we do in times of trouble. Because the thing about it is, we may not realize it as much, but had it not, if it were not for God prospering us and blessing us, we wouldn't be... Like the song says, count your many blessings and name them one by one. So we need to count our blessings in times of prosperity, in times of blessings that, that God has given us. And that, that's the time that most people are most likely to forget, isn't it? When everything's going well. You know, you people say, someone will say, I'm doing fine, I'm doing alright. Well, by the grace of God, you're doing alright. And by the grace of God, you have what you have. And by God's a will to prosper you and to bless you, you can enjoy these blessings. But if it were not for that, where would you be? Back in the book of Deuteronomy, he says, remember it is God that has given thee breath or life or health to get wealth. So if you've got something coming your way and you're prospering, remember it's God that's permitted you to get wealth. In the book of Deuteronomy, it tells us about that. I won't give you, I don't have the reference in a hand right now, but you can find that. So anyway, let's notice what he's saying here. These fasts and these feastings, were they for God? And he's reminding them that they should have heard the prophets in verse 7. Should ye not hear the words which the Lord hath cried by the former prophets, when Jerusalem was inhabited and in prosperity, and the cities thereof round about her, when men inhabited the south and, and the plain? In other words, the whole land was being blessed, wasn't it? It was prosperous. It was inhabited. And they were enjoying the fruit of their labors. They were enjoying the whole uh, peace and contentment in their settlements. But something happened along the way. The next verse, it continues, And the word of the Lord came unto Zechariah, saying, This is not a different message, but a continuance of what we said we'd read that in a little bit. It's a continuance of what he's already dealing with, is the, the rebuke for uh, not hearing God's word and obeying Him. Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, this verse 9, Execute true judgment and show mercy and compassions every man to his brother. So, God wanted true judgment. He didn't care about the fast and their weeping and their mourning and their feasting, because the fast was not unto God anyway. It was uh, a mourning because of their condition. You see, God didn't ordain it. But he says, what I have ordained is what? I want some true judgment. I, want some re- I don't want any hypocrisy about what you're doing. I want some true judgment. Look, execute true judgment and show mercy and compassion every man to his brother. This is the fast that God has uh, enjoyed, or the feast, if you want to put it the opposite. So this is what God uh, had rather have. And you know, on the part of you and I today, He'd rather have true judgment, and He'd rather have real, uh, true, true uh, faithfulness toward Him than to have hypocrisy in our lives or, or uh, all the things that we might do to, to mourn and complain about 
conditions that existed then or have in the past and to remember those those days. I don't want to remember the bad days, do you? Seemed like that they were wanting to remember the bad time. Well, let's not remember the bad time. Let's remember the good times. And so what he's saying here, execute true judgment and show mercy and compassion to every man to his brother. Now look, there are four things here, four oppressions they were to avoid in verse 10. Four oppressions. It says, and oppress not the widow. All right, that's one. Nor the fatherless, the stranger, nor the poor. Oppress not the widow, widow, and this fatherless would be the orphan, the stranger, nor the poor. Let's stop there for a moment. These are four oppressions. Oppressing those that God had made provision for. Back in the, under the law, God made provision for the poor, and for the stranger, and for the widow, and for the, for the fatherless or the orphan. And He tells, he tells uh, the people that are prospering, Remember, when you plow your fields, he says, you, you don't go back and plow out the corners or when you harvest the fields. I should have said instead of plow. But when you harvest the fields and you cut the grain, don't go out back to the corners and pick up every little uh, place that you've missed. Same way uh, if you miss a little row of it. You know, we, we used to, in the combines when we'd harvest the wheat, some of you remember how that works, you'd make that turn and you'd leave a big streak in that corner when you turn the corner and there's wheat left there well a lot of the farmers they go back and and too it's uh, probably pretty customary nowadays because we don't have the same uh, domestic circumstances they had in in the days of of, of the old testament when the, we had so many widows and orphans that would go and benefit from it so the the uh, combine usually Makes a turn after he finishes and go down and back right down those corners and gets all that grain, doesn't he? That's the way they do it. But, uh, you know, they, we could leave it for the birds or the animals or something. Uh, we could uh, leave it for the, uh, some reason or other for, for those that, that need it. And in the Old Testament, that, they were to leave that. Of course, they didn't have the machinery have. I don't know how what it meant by leaving the corners and the the sheaves that were missed or whatever. But we do know that God made provision for them. And remember Ruth, when she came into the land, Boaz was uh, harvesting the fields. He said, uh, leave some gleanings for her. And he said, furthermore, you know, Boaz was like the Lord. He was very generous toward us. He says, besides this, Leave some handfuls on purpose. He says, leave some other part of the field than that you've missed. The ones that the reapers had, had uh, reaped. He says, leave that, but he says, leave something additional. Handfuls, we call it handfuls on purpose. I have a set of books, a commentary. Some of you have them probably. Handfuls on purpose. It's about ten volumes, little volumes. They're real good. And it's just like gleanings from the Bible and various... various uh, texts and, and uh, expositions. But anyway, to make a long story short, we find that these oppressed people by these today, in that day rather, God had already said not to do it. And He says, Oppress not the widow, nor the fatherless, the stranger, nor the poor. And, let, and then He goes on to say, Look, and let none of you imagine evil against his brother in your heart. The additional thing you have here, besides these four oppressions that they were to avoid, they were not to 
have any uh, evil against their brother in their heart. That means that they were to be in fellowship with their brother and to reconcile any situation that was wrong between their brother and themselves. What did Jesus say? He says, when you pray, forgive us our trespasses. And he says, now, if you forgive men of their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But he says, if you forgive not men of their trespasses, neither will your Father in heaven forgive you your trespasses. You see, if you want forgiveness, you have to be what? Forgiving. You have to be forgiving. You say, well, I forgive my brother for this or that or the other that you feel like he's done wrong to you. But he he doesn't consider it or he doesn't forgive me or he doesn't want to be reconciled. He doesn't want to have anything to do with me. That's on his part, not yours. You can have a forgiving heart regardless of what the next fellow does. Do you know that? You can be forgiving in your heart and in your actions regardless of how it's accepted. So always remember that, that we need that in our lives. I was trying to think of a little thing I used to know about forgiveness, about love. Love gives and forgives and outlives. It ever stands with open hands, and as it lives, it gives. For this is love's prerogative, to give and give and give. It's talking more about giving than it is forgiving, but that would be giving as well, wouldn't it? So, at this verse of Scripture, I want you to notice in verse... um, 10 again, it says, And let none of you imagine evil against his brother in your heart. You know, there's a lot of things about heart in the Bible. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. So you have to hide God's word. You you need to memorize Scripture. Look at it. At least be familiar with it. At least read it. And that, that, even if you don't hide it in your heart by memory, you hide it in your heart by knowing it. And knowing that somewhere it says what you're what you have knowledge of. It's good to memorize it too if you're able to do that. And God will bless you to, to do that. But it says, Thy word have I hid in mine heart. Suppose someone came along in this nation or some system came along and destroyed all of our Bibles. So it's very unlikely that that will happen because we'll hide one somewhere, won't we? But if we hide it in our heart, we've still got that, haven't we? And uh, another thing is about the heart The Bible says, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Think of that for a moment. Keep thy heart. Guard your heart. Keep it right. Uh, With all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life, or the springs of life, the things that spring up in your life. It all has to do with the heart. You might say, well, how does that work out in the public when I'm dealing in a business matter, or when I'm doing this or that or the other, or when I'm about my occupation, it still involves the heart, whether people realize it or not. You know, the man that succeeds in his work, he does it from his heart. If you want a good, if you want a good job from a carpenter or a plumber or electrician, or, or if you want a good workman in, in a store of some kind, you want a man of heart. Because he's not just there just to get money from you. He's there to do you a good job and to earn his money. And when you have a man like that, you can't knock it, can you? You have a person that's doing the best he can to earn uh, his living and to do you a good job so that he will be a one that will help you to succeed as well as himself. 
And if you've got that kind of workman, you can be thankful. And two, I'm reminded of how the the employer should treat the the uh, uh, the employee, because back in the days, I'll refer again to the book of Ruth, where Boaz, when he went out into the field, he said, "The Lord bless thee." <laughs> Can you imagine your boss coming at on the job nowadays, and all the people out there on the job say, "God bless you. You're doing a good job." <laughs> Be kind of exception to the rule, wouldn't it? And yet there are men that will that, that will do that and appreciate their the ones that are working for them. But if you go back and read the book of Ruth, you remember how he approached his reapers in the field? He didn't say, you didn't do this, you didn't do that. Look, if you'll recognize what people do instead of what they don't do, you'll be far better off. And then they may do some of the things that they fail to get done. But there's a whole lot of things in dealing with people that we need to learn. If you're never appreciated... You're not going to do anything to try to be appreciated. But when a person is appreciated, they'll try to do more and more. And so a successful businessman is not one that drives. He's one that that uh, guides and leads. And that's the way he's going to be successful. And that applies to anything in our lives, too. That applies to our Sunday school classes, to our church, to our leadership, to our deacons, our trustees, to men that lead and guide us. And compliments... Do not hurt. It doesn't weaken your position at all. A lot of people say, well, if I don't come on like uh, a big uh, macho guy and get on everybody's case, well, they won't do anything. That's not so. They will. If you'll learn to lead and guide in the right way. Well, look at this verse. It says uh, in the last part of verse 10, And let none of you imagine evil against his brother in your heart. We're talking about heart uh, situation Now, verse 11 says, But they refused... Now, here's the rebuke of this message. But they refused... And more of the rebuke, I should say. They refused to hearken and pulled away the shoulder and stopped their ears that they should not hear. They pulled away their shoulder. They wouldn't do the work. They wouldn't listen to God. Here's what we call rebellion and disobedience. Rebellion and disobedience. And they stopped their ears that they should not hear. You know, hearing is one thing that God has blessed in our lives. It says, they that hear the word and keep it are the ones that are blessed. We observe, we listen to God. We do not rebel against His word. And when we are taught the word of God, that's what we should be receptive to. When we read it, that's what we should be receptive to. But they were following after their own ways. And they were following after the ways of the heathen gods round about them and idolatry. And this is what brought the rebuke because God had warned them against such. When God gives a warning and people do not follow it, what is He to do but let them suffer the consequences? Just like when you warn your children and they rebel against it. And then they get in trouble or problems arise as a result. What happens? You can't do very much about it because they'll have to suffer the consequences of their actions. You see, every man and every individual is responsible for his own actions, for what you do. Someone says, well, this one caused me to do this. Well, they may have led you into doing something wrong that you didn't want to do, but it was your choice that you finally made. You see, 
You don't have to do everything everybody wants you to do, especially if it's the wrong thing to do. You have to come to a place that you take your stand at some point in time. Look back in the book of Proverbs and let's see if there's not a scripture that would help us there. Do you know that was completely accidental? I just flipped over my Bible a whole handful of pages, and there it is, the one I want. Didn't even have a marker on it. So maybe I've been there before. But look at it, Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 14. It says, Enter not into the path of the wicked, and go not in the way of evil men. Now look, avoid it, pass not by it, turn from it, and pass away. There may be a lot of enticement to cause you to enter in that path, or to cause you to follow that path, and never associate with the path of the wicked. And then it says, for they sleep, verse 16, for they sleep not except they have done mischief, and their sleep is taken, taken away, unless they cause some to fall. For they eat the bread of wickedness, and drink the wine of violence. But it tells us in verse 18, but the path of the just is as a shining light that shineth more and more. Under the perfect day. And that's what we're to follow. Is the path of the just. Back in Zechariah. Chapter 7. Now look at verse uh, 12. It says. Yea. They made their hearts as an adamant stone. A hard stone. There's different description given to the adamant stone. But it's just like the hardest stone that you can think of. Some have used the flint and, and different kinds of stone. Or different things that are adamant. Yea, they made their hearts as an adamant stone, lest they should hear the law. They just, in other words, hardened their hearts. And they were following the ways of their forefathers that wouldn't listen to these prophets that we've been talking about. Lest they should hear the law and the words which the Lord of hosts has sent in His Spirit by the former prophets. The former prophets had spoken to their forefathers and they wouldn't listen. And they're following in the same steps. Isn't it something how that uh, those that you came from you follow in their steps. And then the ones that are your children will follow in your steps. And if it's the wrong steps, only by the grace of God will there be a change in that cycle. That's why it's very important that there be a breaking of that cycle. If you say, well, my dad was not, or my parents were not good people, and they had all these uh, different things in their lives, which I thank God mine were, were good people, and most of you can. But on the other hand, there has to be a time that that cycle is broken and by the grace of God and that, that someone is saved and changes the whole cycle of things. But these people were following exactly like their forefathers and they wouldn't, their forefathers wouldn't listen to God, so therefore what? They wouldn't listen to God. Same thing. But notice the good side of it. If you're following in the right steps, your offspring, your children, the ones you deal with, even maybe they're not your personal children, biological. But if you have an influence upon some young people or some others that are around about you, whether young or old, well then, the influence you have will change their lives. And the influence they have will change others' lives. See, it's passed on down, isn't it? It's passed on down to the next generation. Someone said, well, why should I, why should I set that kind of example? No one looks at me. They do, though. They do look at you. Someone's watching you in your life. And you're an influence to someone else whether you realize it or not, either for good or for bad. And don't ever forget that somebody is going to take uh, a lesson from your life. And we need to pray to God that we'll leave the right kind of a message behind. And that He will give us certainly the guidance that we need 
in order that we may guide others in the right way. But these would not listen. Uh, the words of the Lord of hosts hath he sent in his spirit by the former prophets. Therefore came a great wrath from the Lord of hosts. Why? Because they wouldn't listen. A great wrath from the Lord of hosts. All that they had endured in their rebellion before Jerusalem was destroyed and before the Babylonian captivity of 70 long years, they had to pay in bondage, in captivity. Isn't it an amazing thing? The great price that's attached to rebellion and failure to heed God's Word. That's the great price that they had to pay for it. Because their forefathers wouldn't listen and they wouldn't listen. And therefore, it says... Therefore, what? Because what we've been... Therefore means all that went before is what we're talking about. Look at verse 12. Therefore came a great wrath from the Lord of hosts. And in verse 13, Therefore it has come to pass that as he cried, and they would not hear, God cried to them, so they cried, and I would not hear, saith the Lord of hosts. God says, if they're going to be uh, not listening to me, I'm not going to listen to them. Finally, the, he in their repentance, He had mercy and grace and forgiveness and brought them back. But they had gone so far that there was a time that, that He wasn't going to listen to them. The wrath was already determined. And when God's wrath is determined and we've gone too far, we know that the judgment or chastisement, if we want to call it that, for God's children, is due and is coming. And you remember when we studied the book of Amos uh, it said, for three transgressions and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof against six heathen nations, first of all. And then he turns to what? Judah and Israel, his own people. He, he points out Moab and different ones of the ones. And Moab, the Moabites were under a curse. The Moabites and the Ammonites, because they were the illegitimate descendants of uh, Lot and his, by his two daughters, or the children of Lot by his two daughters that got him drunk and, and brought, brought children into the world by their own father. And as a result, God said they're, they're a cursed generation, the Moabites and the Ammonites. But the Moabites, even though Ruth was a Moabitess, she found grace in the eyes of Boaz and she was redeemed from that curse. Boaz is typical of our Redeemer that's redeemed us from the curse of the law, Jesus. And so, verse. look at this. Therefore came a great wrath from the Lord. Therefore it has come to pass that as he cried, that's verse 13, and they would not hear. So they, uh, as I cried, he says, as he cried, that would be God, and they would not hear. So, so they cried, and I would not hear, saith the Lord of hosts. Now verse 14, but I scattered them with a whirlwind among all the nations. Remember how he scattered them among the nations whom they knew not. Thus the land was desolate after them, that no man passed through nor returned, for they laid the pleasant land desolate. So you find the result was scattering them among the nations. And then, of course, we know that they went into captivity. But you know, this has a prophetic meaning too. The Lord has scattered uh, His people among all nations, even to this present time. And there's going to be a regathering of them in the book of Revelation, the Bible speaks of a regathering. But meanwhile, they suffer the consequences of being scattered among the nations. When we find uh, that they're drawn from the north, that would be from uh, actually nowadays more, ba not instead of Babylonia or Babylon, would be Russia as well, the north and then the south from Egypt and then the, and then the east 
they'll be coming back from the east. That would be uh, the nations like China and, and India and Japan even. And they'd be brought back. And then from the west would be the European nations and even uh, America. And they're going to all be drawn back. In the book of Revelation, it speaks of such regathering. In fact, in the next chapter, you're going to find a, a message of restoration in chapter 8. So we'll let that conclude with our lesson tonight. But let me read again verse 14. But I scattered them with a whirlwind among all the nations whom they knew not. Thus the land was desolate after them, and no man passed through nor returned, for they laid the pleasant land desolate. So the consequences, this rebuke reminds them of what they had to endure because of the way they lived and because of the way they responded to God's Word.